0: And then uh, the week after Christmas, um, so we'll have Christmas Sunday. We'll be doing a Christmas Eve service. The following week, Brooke, I'll be on vacation um, because i got to use that vacation at some point. Um, <laughs> and uh, then the week after, so it'll be the beginning of January, we'll finish up Philippians. Everybody got that? It's important. I'm just making sure. Um, if you have a small child who is not heading for the nursery... Um, my wife has coloring pages um, for for children or um, those with really short attention spans. Daniel, <laughs> got to do it every week, and the college guys aren't here, so <laughs> so I'm picking on you. Um, <laughs> um, all right, so uh, we're moving into Philippians three fifteen to twenty one, um, and and um, Kind of near in the end of the letter, and Paul is is definitely about to tie up the last of the theological stuff. Okay, so um, we started out in the beginning where Paul is in prison and he is um, writing to this church. He's got no complaints against them. He's got a couple of warnings, but but for the most part, this is a fairly cheerful letter. The under under the undercurrent theme, the major element of this text is joy. Um, Paul talks about joy in any circumstances and how we find joy as believers. And so um, we've been looking quite a bit at joy um, and how to have joy. Joy is like happiness that doesn't go away, right? Like so, you know, th- bad things happen. Um, life be- becomes kind of miserable. You, you don't manage to shoot a deer this year. You don't, you know, you, your car breaks down. All of these things happen. And joy is a thing that sticks even though life isn't fun, okay, and it's something we're not good at as a culture. Um, and, and this particular message is less about joy, but we do need to summarize the previous section here. Um, eventually it'll be online, sooner or later, hopefully tomorrow is my goal. Um, but uh, for now, I'll, I'll the sermon from last week, I'll give you a quick once-over. Um, Paul moves on to the spot in the letter where he's like, Look, I know you guys don't have a problem with it. I know I said it a million times. But guys who come to your church and try to get you to become circumcised to be Christians are wrong. And he, he goes into this whole, like, like, like explanation as to why it is a really bad idea to get circumcised to go to heaven. Okay? If you know what circumcision is, ask your parents when you get home. I'm not explaining it today. Um Along the way, he argues that um, these guys who are trying to pursue God through works, and like what they were doing is they were saying, I am going to work harder than you, and that's how I'm going to get to heaven. And, and for the Jewish faith, this had actually become like a poison. Um, it had reached the point where the, the Jewish people, um, there are huge swaths of them that they weren't defined by their love of other people, but by their despising of other groups. Does that make sense? It's actually reading about this last night in relation to Luke because um, the sermon series starting next week will be on Luke. And, and one, of the, one of the oddball features of Luke is Jesus is in contrast constantly with, like, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they hate, you know, they hate Samaritans. They're not real fond of women. They're not real fond of, I mean, there are all these people that they just don't like. Um, and and um, a lot of the Jewish faith had become about that. How hard do I have to work? And part of how hard do I have to work is how much better do I have to be than you, Right? Because I may not be the fastest guy out in the race, but I'm faster than you. Because as I can do better than you. And it's that mindset, right? You know, it was maybe, uh, yeah, well, anyway. And so, like, like, Paul goes on and he says, listen, all of these works that people are trying to do, it's like it's like dung, right? Like, it's, it's like manure. See, I have better words today. Give me grief about that last week. Um, and, and all of these works, all of the good stuff that they're pointing out, all of this stuff that they're like, this is what I'm doing, awesome. Paul says it's, it's garbage. It's worthless compared to knowing Jesus. Because in Christ, we're saved. And um, just very quickly, the idea here is, um, as Christians, we don't believe we have to be good to go to heaven. Everybody got that? If you walked in here thinking that this is checking your box to go to heaven, you're wasting your time. We go to heaven based on forgiveness. Forgiveness is received by having faith in Jesus. I, Jesus Christ died for my sins. He was punished for the bad stuff I do, and the bad stuff Victoria does, and and the bad stuff that you know Daniel does, and the bad stuff that Terry does, though he doesn't do much bad stuff. Um, that's what he says. Um, <laughs> um, you know, Jesus is punished for that stuff, and in exchange, we're forgiven, right? Um, and so. It's like he takes the bullet for us. Um, and and so, like, if we try to be good by our works, we're going to fail. Um, ultimately, Paul ends this section of the text talking about his pursuit of holiness. And what this is about is he says, listen, I, I'm made new in Christ, but I still struggle, right? Does anybody here not struggle with sinning occasionally? No hand, Terry? No. Um, <laughs> We all continue to struggle with sin. And Paul says, look, I'm running a race toward this perfection, and I'm working on it, I'm working on it, I'm working on it, but the fact of the matter is I haven't gotten there. You know, I, I run the race, but I haven't gotten there. And if the Apostle Paul's not perfect, I'm in trouble, right? Um, so, so this is where he lays off, ends off in that previous section. Um, I'm going to read the last couple verses because they're really important. Not that I've already obtained it, Or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do know, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Really wordy, right? The long and short of it. Paul is perfect because he's made new, but he's not perfect yet. Does that make sense? Already, but not yet. Already, but not yet. I'm already made new, but I'm not perfect yet. Everybody with me? Everybody still awake? We're trying to serve higher caffeinated coffee to help out with that. And <laughs> Philippians 3.15. Um, Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude... And if, in anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. So, we lose something when we go from Greek to English, okay? Because, like, like have you ever read a poem that was written in a different language originally? As you read it, it doesn't rhyme, you know, <laughs> and it doesn't seem to work quite right? That's the way it is with Greek and English. Paul puts in puns and word plays and little slights and insults and jokes and stuff, and we don't get it because it's not like our language. Um, Paul throws in a joke here. Um, Or a pun, excuse me. Puns aren't jokes. Um, (laughs) In the previous section, he says, I haven't obtained perfection yet, but I'm striving toward it. And here he says, perfection, again, he uses the same word, but it's almost always translated as maturity. Or something along those lines, instead of perfection. Because he's saying, look, we're going to strive towards perfection. And those of you guys who are already perfect, and he knows they're not perfect, right? Um, but it's a joke. He's saying, look, if you're mature, if you're growing in your faith, you need to recognize and you need um, to have the same attitude I have. And that attitude is, Jesus is how I'm saved. Jesus is more important than anything else. Jesus is what I'm chasing after. Jesus is what matters, Right? Not how I'm better than you. Got it? Not how I'm so good that God has to love me. If you live in the world where you're so good that God has to love you, you're in trouble. Everybody with me? Um, So you need to have this attitude. And if in anything, you have a different attitude. Meaning if you're looking at it and you're like, well, this Jesus thing is pretty important. But let me tell you about all this other stuff that rocks about me. Um, You're in trouble. Like, you're off. But Paul isn't attacking these guys. He says, God will reveal it to you eventually. As you mature spiritually, God's going to fix that. Right? Um, However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Um, He's saying, look, just because I'm forgiven doesn't mean I go out and do whatever I want. Everybody with me? Like, if, if every time... I sin, it's something else that Jesus carried at the cross. I don't turn around and say, what, free credit card? I'll go spend this everywhere I can. You ever have that, like kids do that sometimes, right? You say, well, you can get one thing at the store and they come back with their arms full. Um, This isn't the attitude we're supposed to have. Paul says the standard we have is we live to be right before God, right? We try to be holy. We do the best we can to be holy because we're pursuing this ideal, This is the standard we're living up to. Um, So let us keep living by that standard. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. All right, so walk is a really funny word. And it's something that Paul uses to talk about living out your Christian faith, right? Living out what you believe. Um, If I say, anybody here a vegetarian? No one? Really? In Montana, there's not even one? (laughs) If I say I'm a vegan, right? First off, you all would probably make fun of me. Um, If I say I'm a vegan, and I'm I'm a vegan, but I eat steak occasionally, like four times a week. Am I still a vegan? But I say I'm a vegan. Doesn't saying it mean something? Not really, right? (laughs) Right. I can say I'm a vegan, but in reality, being a vegan isn't about what you say, it's about what you do, right? You don't eat meat, you don't drink milk, you don't eat honey, you don't eat anything, you don't enjoy life. You just complain about it to people who do eat meat. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I was a vegetarian for seven years. I can say that. It's okay. It's (laughs) self-critical. But but the point being, look, he says, look, um, you need to live according to what you say you are, right? If you say if you say you're a believer, if you say you follow Jesus, you need to live following Jesus. It's not you know I'm going to say this and I'm going to be this. It's it's you're doing both. Everybody with me? Um, And he goes on. He says, listen, watch the folks who are doing this right, um, who are walking out this way of life. Um, Earlier in the book, Paul talks about um, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And at that point, what he's talking about is figure out how you're going to live out your faith, because understand, you're going to take that with you and stand before God with it, right? Like, it's going with you. You're, you're going to have this, and this is what you're going to put before Jesus. You may be forgiven, but, like, there's a degree to which you're going to have to stand there and be like, yep, this is what I love more than you. Um, and he says, don't do that. Take it seriously. Be very serious about it. Serious, 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 because it's something that we're going to have to take with us. Not because we're afraid of going to hell. But because we want to do right by God. Um, it used to be when we lived in, in Indiana, Jess would go on trips, right? And I would, I would uh, as a habit, I would do huge projects while she was out of town. Um, and one year, in fact, actually, this is a terrible story. She went to Costa Rica for, was it two weeks? She was in Costa Rica for two weeks, and I renovated a bathroom. I put in, like, a, like a, was it, mar- it was a marble or granite. It was a granite countertop in the bathroom, and I painted it. I changed out the flooring. I, I traded out all the shower fixtures. I mean, I did a full redo of this bathroom. And, and the, 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 the space behind the shower was about this wide, and it was right next to the cabinet. And so if you wanted to trade out the shower fixture, you had to kind of reach in and work on it. And I wasn't that good at that because I'm clumsy and really, I'm inept, I don't know what else to say. Um, and so what I did was I I, like lifted up the granite cou- countertop and I slid the cabinet over as far as I could and I folded myself into this little corner so that the shower fixture was right in front of me, like the the, the trap, is that what it's called? Or the, the soil spot underneath the shower. And I'm working on it and I'm fixing it. And as I'm getting it just finished up, I hear this cabinet slip right behind me. And it... it Pushed my butt up against the wall, actually, or you know, it hit my hit my back and pinned me, and so I'm under the shower in the closet, <laughs> and and nobody's coming over, <laughs> and Jess is out of town for another week and a half, and I'm there on the floor thinking, he's gonna come home and I'm gonna be laying here, <laughs> it's gonna be really hard to explain, I mean really hard, because um, I'm gonna be trapped in the shower, right. <laughs> and not the good part of the shower, the crummy part of the shower. <laughs> um, and, and it took me longer than it should have. I'm not going to tell the whole story because it's embarrassing. It took me longer than it should have for me to get out of that. Um, but understand, like, like, um, there was a day when Jess was coming home and she was going to see what I did, right? I did big projects because I wanted to make her happy. Because I wanted her to come home and find, oh, my gosh, we have a brand new bathroom, Right? If I screw it up that bad that the bathroom's torn apart and I'm stuck in the shower, <laughs> I'm going to be embarrassed, right? When Paul talks about observing people who are doing it right and follow that pattern, I probably should have talked to some people who do plumbing and figured out whether or not this was a good idea, right? Did anybody see that problem coming when I was telling the story, by the way? <laughs> like, like I should have followed somebody else's pattern. Instead, I did my own thing and I and I didn't do very well. Um, But but the objective was I want something good for her. The objective for us as believers, right? It's not to earn our way into heaven. It's to be as close and to know Jesus as intimately as possible because he's coming back and we don't want him to come back and find us trapped in sin with our bathroom torn up. Right? Because that'd be embarrassing. And I would never hear the end of it. (laughs) Um... So walk according to the pattern. So he's saying, listen, follow the pattern of others. Follow the attitude. Do what we're doing. Apply what we're talking about. Um, and here's the hard part. And, and I'm going to warn you, this is steel-toes time. Because like, this, is, this is tougher stuff. Um, 1, 8, 3.18, for many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross. There are folks who start the trip, right? And they get lost along the way. Um, sometimes I'll have Abby go do something. I'll say, Abby, you need to go into the kitchen, and and I'll give her a task. And, and I'll turn around, and I'll look back, and she's not in the kitchen. She's, you know, found something to distract her, and she's playing with something else, right? Anybody have kids that do that? Is it just mine? You know, um, in fact, I do that. <laughs> Honestly, Jess will say, Eric, I need you to go do dishes, and I'll go into the kitchen, and I'll, I'll start to do dishes, and then I'll think, you know, I really want a cup of coffee right now. And I'll start messing with the coffee maker, and I'll think, well, do we have enough creamer, or should I go to the store? And (laughs) before you know it, the dishes aren't done, and I'm, you know, painting the living room. Um, And this is what Paul is talking about. There are some folks who start to walk in it. They start with good intentions. They know where they're going. They got the right idea. But what happens? They get lost or they get distracted, or something comes up, or they're too busy, or I'm kind of ticked off at these guys in the church, and so I want to stay away from those people, or whatever. They get this huge pile of stuff that gets in the way, and they get lost. And Paul, when he talks about these folks, how does he describe it? Is he judging them? Not really, right? His attitude is an attitude of sorrow. When he looks at folks who are walking wrong, who are lost on the way, he talks about weeping. This is actually the only spot in the Bible where we have any reference to Paul weeping, like any reference to him like mourning with this kind of intensity. Um, and and the Greek word there really indicates like intense like sorrow or intense mourning, um, very strong emotional connection. Um, and he says these folks are now an enemy of the cross. Now we're going to hit pause. Um, Anybody know who, uh, uh, what's that Baptist church? Westboro. Is that them? Anybody ever seen these guys on TV or in the news? They're, they're crummy. These are guys who hang up, like walk around and, and protest soldiers' funerals with signs that say, you know, we're glad God killed these soldiers. And they're, they're crummy and like, God hates you. you know? These are guys who stand in this spot and look at other people who are in sin and they say, you're in sin and we're pretty ticked off about it. Um, the attitude that, that Paul is talking about, that he's representing here is, you're in sin and I am horrified at it. Like, and filled with sorrow. Not, I'm horrified and ticked off. I'm horrified and I'm judging you. It's, oh my gosh, I can't believe this has happened. Um, it's an attitude of, of, of sorrow that's like seeing a family member that's wandered off and gotten lost... and and really mourning over them being lost. Um, It's so easy to get to that point, though, especially you read the news, and you start seeing politics and angry, mean stuff that people are doing, and it's easy to look at them and say, man, those guys, it's not what God calls us to, right? God calls us to, to love, and God calls us to mourn. Over people who get lost along the way. And Paul is modeling a very specific attitude here. An attitude that says, the most important thing is knowing Jesus. And if you know Jesus, I'm sorry about it. If you don't know Jesus, sorry. I'm sorry that you don't know. And and I mourn that you don't know. And you may do stuff that, that's horrible and wrong, but I, I'm filled with sadness that that's the case. Um, it's very different than what the church sometimes does, right? Mind you... Um, in the previous half of the chapter, he talks about these guys who are like, you need to follow the following rules to be okay with God, and if you don't, you're bad. Paul's taking the opposite stance. He's saying, if you're not following the rules, if you're not like obeying... Um, sorry, let me not derail that. Let me say it right. Paul is saying, um, if your heart is lost, if you're in the wrong spot, if you've wandered off, I'm sad about that. I mean, he weeps over it. Um, he keeps going. He says, these guys who, who are enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. Um, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is their shame. Who have set their minds on earthly things. Now, here's where this gets tricky. There are two to three possible groups he's talking about here. And it's easy to read it and inflict your opinion on it, right? But I'm not going to do that because Paul isn't clear, and I don't think he's clear on purpose. He could be talking about these folks who are, like, walking away from the faith and saying, you know what, I was cool with, the, you know, like, following Jesus for a little while, but it seems like too much work. I am going to go and see how much partying I can do. You guys have fun. Because that fits to this, right? Their glory is their, or excuse me, their, their um, appetite is their God. Um, anybody know folks like that? The most important thing is what I have or what I do right now. You know, if, if I, I've got friends I, I've known for years who are on my Facebook page. I don't talk to them much, but I, I follow them and I see them where like everything is about the next party they're going to or the next opportunity to go in and get as drunk as possible or find someone that, that they barely know to have a special relationship with for a couple of days. I mean, like, this is, this is their appetite, and this becomes their God. And it's easy to look and say, this is who he's talking about. And it probably is part of what he's talking about. It's folks who, who get to this point where they're like, I'm going to live in the now. You only live once. I'll never say that in a sermon again. Um, <laughs> I'm going to enjoy what I have. I'm going to burn through my bucket list, and we are going to, like, party like it's the end of the world. This is what I got. Um, because then their glory is their shame. Meaning the stuff that they're so proud about, the stuff they're having so much fun with, it's it's kind of something to be ashamed of, right? It's kind of something not to be proud of. Um, and there are folks who wear their shame on their you know on their chest like a medal, and they're so proud of it. And they set their mind on earthly things, meaning they look at their lives and they or they look at the world around them, and that's all they want. I want a bigger car. I want a bigger better TV. Bigger better car. Bigger TV. <laughs> I want a nicer house. I want to have better clothes than you. I want to have this. I want to have that. And they have this long list of this is what I want. And all they focus on is earthly things and living in the now. It's sort of this hedonism lifestyle, right? And folks do this. That's one group. The other group is the one that we don't always pick out. And it's the less often, like, picked out when you read this passage. You don't hear people notice this in the preaching. But it's the stronger one to argue for. Um, Because what Paul in the previous section is talking about is churchy people. Actually, Judaizers, but I'm going to call them churchy people. The people who say, you need to follow these rules to go to heaven, right? If that's the case, if it's the follow the rules to be right with God, first off, their end is destruction, meaning they're not getting right with God. Their God is their appetite. Now, one of the things the Judaizers would do is they would demand that folks follow the the food ordinances. The Jewish faith has really specific rules about what you could and could not eat. And there are folks who are trying to force this onto the church. And, and if the, their God is their appetite, their God is what they're picking to live by, right? It's follow these rules. This is what's God, not God. These rules are God. Um, their glory is their shame. Now, this fits in really well with the previous section where Paul says, you know what, everything that they thought is valuable is like a big pile of, of manure. See, I said it again. Um, <laughs> sorry, I have been picked on so much about that. Um, Everything that they love, everything they're so proud of, is like a big pile of manure. It's garbage. And they're proud of it. Their glory is their shame. Um, And so what Paul is doing here, possibly, a big chunk of what he's probably doing here, is he's saying, if you live your life chasing after works, if you live your life proud of what you do as a way of being right before God, you're losing. You're failing. Um, And your end is destruction, ultimately. um, Because God doesn't want your works. Um... He has no use for that stuff. Um, And their mind is on earthly things, meaning they're not looking to God. They're not looking to Jesus. They're looking at the world around them and saying, what do I have to do to get what I want? Um, Paul sets a contrast here. This is uh, 320 to 21. This is the end of the the chapter. For our citizenship is in heaven. I I often say this, and people say I'm cynical. I, I follow politics a little bit but I don't care that much because at the end of the day, I don't live, you know, I'm not here forever. I'm passing through. The Apostle Paul calls us sojourners, right? We're travelers. We're passing through this world. I'm going to be here for, God willing, another 40 or 50 years, right? Probably another 20 at the way I take care of myself, but for 15. Um, But but I'm going to be here for maybe 40 years. You put 40 years on a timeline next to forever. And it's a, it's, a, it's a blink, right? Not even a blink. It's nothing. My real citizenship is in heaven. And so when I look at the world around me, I'm not that worried about this stuff. When I look up is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for heaven. And so when I decide how I'm going to live my life, I'm going to live my life looking at heaven, Right? Paul is calling the reader, he's calling you um, to live your life looking to heaven and saying, wow, how am I going to be right before God, Jesus? How am I going to overcome this difficulty, Jesus? Man, everything's falling apart. How am I supposed to get up in the morning and not feel crummy, Jesus? Um, And it's not the standard Sunday school answer. It's bigger than that. How do I find joy in life? I find joy in life in the fact that I'm passing through. My house could burn... Well, your house could burn down tomorrow. I don't own that house. It belongs to the church. But if I lost everything I have tomorrow, I still have heaven. Um, My wife... My wife believes in Jesus. My kids, we're raising them to be godly people. You know, in eternity, they're coming with me. You can't take that stuff away from me. Um, I can lose everything now. I've got heaven. I've got Jesus, who died for me, who died for you. Like... Paul is calling people to take a stance of, look at this. This is what matters. You can't earn this. It'd be like, I don't know, if I were invited to, to um, you know, to, to Donald Trump's house. Well, I don't like Donald Trump. I don't want to talk about him. Um, <laughs> Bill Gates invites me over. I don't like Windows either, but I'll talk about him. Um, <laughs> Bill Gates invites me over, and he, and he sets like, you know, a, a feast fit for a king before me and, and he, he buys me new clothes and has me ushered around in a limousine and at the end of the day I come to him and I grab his hand to shake it and I slip a nice clean brand new penny in his hand and say, this is for you, thanks. Bill Gates don't need my penny, right? I read that if he came across a $100 bill on the ground and he leaned down to pick it up, it actually, his time is worth more than the $100 bill he leaned down to pick up, Right? In this way, when I look forward to heaven and I say, what do I need to do to earn my way to heaven? God doesn't need my time. He doesn't need that shiny penny I'm slipping in his hand, right? Everything I do needs to bring glory to Christ and needs to bring me closer to him. Why did Jesus come to die for me? To bring God glory and also so that I could know God, right? So what do I chase after? Bringing God glory and knowing Jesus. That's it. This is what matters. Um From which, all right. So our citizenship is in heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Um, That's the end of the passage. I'm going to explain this because it's a mouthful again, right? when Jesus comes back, on the day that I die and I face Christ, on the day you die and you face Christ, this striving to overcome sin, it's over. Because I become, like, like by the power of Christ, I become perfect then. He could make the whole world that way and subject it. And one day the world will face him that way and, and it will be made new again. But, each of us, not perfect yet. We stand before God, we're going to get there. Does that make sense? Um, our calling, our application is walk in that direction. Right? I may start walking towards Washington, D.C. and I may never get there on foot. Right? But I'm going to walk in that direction. I'm walking towards perfection. I'm walking with clo- toward closeness with Christ. I may not get there in my lifetime, but I will get there. And the important thing I'm doing right now is walking. It's what we're called to do. Walk in the right direction. Um, we're going to close in prayer. Do we have another song, Larry? Um, and my challenge for you today, um, really the application for this whole thing is keep your eyes on heaven and walk in that direction. When you see folks who've gotten lost along the way, weep for them, cry for them, and pray for them and try and bring them back. Um, we don't judge. We don't heap anger. We love and we, and we, and we chase after holiness. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll be with us today and help us to and, and throughout this week, help us to live um, thankful for the gifts that you've given us and the blessings you pour on us. Um, help us to, to um, bring glory to you and help us to know your son Christ better. Help us to, to walk in harmony with the calling that we've got. In Jesus' name, amen.